Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. All right, so as I said last night, I was down in Houston uh, for the Texas Fight Tour stop. We'll get to some Rodney Terry stuff, and we'll probably go top of hour number one. We might get to a couple of the start cuts, and we'll do Rodney Terry at hour two for sure. But uh, I want to get to a couple of these, and we'll start off with, Cam, we'll just start off with cut one right here. Uh, I've heard various people and some of my colleagues in the media try to kind of psychoanalyze Sark throughout these presentations. And I, I will say this about Steve Sarkeesian. You you know, we and, and a lot of this we can go revisionist history on Charlie Strong and Tom Herman. But let's be honest, like both of those coaches, they had strengths and they had weaknesses. And we've talked about some of Sark's weaknesses and areas where he needs to improve. But I think unquestionably... One of Sark's Sark's biggest strengths, and without without a doubt, he's the best Texas football coach since Mac Brown to being able to do this, and maybe even Mac pre twenty ten. Sark does an incredibly good job of reading the room and understanding what group of people he's addressing and the kind of message that they need to hear. I've heard Sark at these kind of pep rally type events before, and it is gonna he is going to express a little more confidence and maybe give the impression that he's puffing his chest out a little bit and that he's excited about his team. I've also heard him address a room full of high school football coaches where that is just strictly he's talking he's just talking ball with coaches and you don't you get you see a different side of Sark. And I've also heard him in, you know, banquet type settings or uh, you know, social events where it's, it's so Sark just does an incredible job of reading the room. And I think people have tried to read into the confidence level he's expressed in the team. So Cam will uh, get to this cut number one. What's led to him expressing this kind of confidence in, in the team? And how does he perceive how he's being viewed in these on these Texas Fight Tour stops? I try to be honest and transparent, you know, I try to just talk about the things that are, that we're focused on and what we're doing. I try to talk about the strengths of our team and, you know, what, what we're trying to lean into and, and then, you know, areas where we need to improve. And, you know, I'm not, it's not trying to be boastful. I'm just trying to, you know, I feel pretty good about our team. We've got plenty of work to do. Um, but from where we've been from January, to this point, the roster we have, the staff continuity, um, the culture that we that we developed, the depth at position groups, those are, those are all really good things to, to have in your program. Now we got to put it all together. Right, that's the next phase of this thing. But um, I feel I feel good about the team and the and the team we have and just the structure of the organization, the people that are in place. So we've had gambling fanatic and a few other regular texters to the show have mentioned they whether it was Houston or. San Antonio, either the DFW stops, that they've been able to get out to some of these events and hear Sark. And, and my question for Sark was I followed up on that and just asked him, okay, for if you're a Texas fan that comes out to one of these events, if you're Steve Sarkeesian, what do you hope a fan leaves here in terms of what is their perception of how he views this team and what does he hope fans take away from these Texas Fight Tour stops? You know, in the end, I think, one, these are these are great events, you know. I mean, I think everybody can feel the idea that, hey, football's next, right? That That's that's what's next kind of on the calendar, and we've still got a few months till we get there. But, hey, we, we've got a great fan base, and we appreciate the support they give us. Uh, 
on and off the field. And you know, I want them, A, to, to know that, how much we appreciate them, and B, that hopefully they they get excited about the team we have and, and what our guys are doing, not just on the field, but kind of what they're doing off the field. That's why I try to mention some of the things that a Roshan Johnson does or a Jordan Winnington's doing. Those guys that are – I want to highlight them, too. Um, it's easy to talk about the, the guys that are the All-Americans and things, but sometimes I try to give them some things that maybe they wouldn't know um, if you're not around us every day. All right, so, Cam, I want to go to cut four, and there were a couple of the questions we got on the Specs text line. I, I was – you know, you've got to figure out a tactful way to ask questions. And and sometimes, look, sometimes you do need to ask hard questions, and hard questions need to be asked. But I think there's a tactful way to, to ask some of the questions that popped up yesterday that, that you uh, folks were concerned about or wanted to hear Sark address. And I asked him about, you know, going back, because from, from being an offensive coordinator to in 2021, a role he hadn't been in since early 2015 of being the head coach and the play caller on offense. Where when you're an offensive coordinator, you can be tunnel visioned. You're just worried about your focus on, on that side of the ball. But I asked Sark about his adjustment there. And you might hear him start to kind of venture off, but I think he he brings it around and it kind of comes full circle. And what I took from it, how I interpreted this camp, and after this cut, you tell me if I'm right or wrong. I think this was Sark talking about being able to play last year as the year went on feeling like they were better positioned to play complementary football than they were at any point in 2021. And I think that for Sark probably made the most difference. But here's Sark talking about adjusting from year one to year two, his growth, his development, getting back into that chair of being both the head coach and the play caller on offense. I think there was a lot of layers to it. I mean, like like I touched on, you know, the, the offensive side was very – seamless, you know, just because of my continuity with, with Coach Flood, with Coach Banks, with Coach Milwee, you know, systematically, you know, we were really, we were really in a groove that way. Um, but when you start talking about the defensive side of the ball, that communication, what that looks like, not only on game day, but from the day-to-day standpoint, uh, being in tune with special teams, being in tune with your depth chart, the amount of reps, who's playing what, when, and how. Um, those were all things that um, I felt comfortable with but naturally when you go into year two uh, there's a sense of really knowing the system defensively really knowing the coaching the coaches their temperament uh, how to communicate with them on a daily basis as well as on game day um, and then dealing with your players you know you're still learning the players as you go and again my job is to motivate people to try to do the, the best that they can do and whatever their best is I'm trying to get them as close to the best every day that we go out there and that that takes time and learning people to get to that point. Here, here's my thing on on head coaches being play callers. Whether you know, like it, it works both ways. Like Gary Patterson, let's do call the defensive signals for TCU. So, so to me, it works both ways. And this was one of my problems with the way Tom Herman handled it, where uh, you kind of dabble in it, but you're, you're talking about the, what's the term he always uses a collaborative effort, and you know you might take it over for this game or whatever. Man, if you're going to be a head coach and a play caller, and this is what I would tell Texas A&M fans about Jimbo Fisher, if you're going to be the head coach and a play caller on either side of the ball, the old Mac Brown line that I love, you can't be a little bit pregnant. You, you've either got to be all in or you've got to be about as hands-off as you can be. Now, depending on what side of the ball where you have your expertise, the buck is going to stop with you. You have veto power. 
but you've either got to take it over yourself with an understanding of this is how I want the offense to run and this is how I want our football team to float. If we're going to play complimentary football, this is how it's going to be. Or you need to hire a play caller that you really trust to where the only thing you have to do is say, hey, we need to burn some clock here or we need to reserve the right to punt or we need to make sure we get a first down. Whatever the case is, in terms of situational football, managing the clock, things that a head coach has to do and be responsible for, that's when you interject yourself. So I don't have a problem with Sark calling the plays. I just think we saw the byproduct last year, why things looked so much better and why the on-field product improved. I think a lot of it had to do, Cam, with just the defense not being the cluster you-know-what that it was in 2021, just with guys trying to get on the same page and feel each other out and figure out, okay, what is this guy's tendency on game day and how do we communicate throughout the week and formulating a game plan, things that the offensive staff was, by and large, for the most part, familiar with that defensive other than – PK and Jeff Choate, none of those guys had done that together before. There was a lot of growing pains in that first year. A lot of growing pains on both sides of the ball. And it was frustrating to watch as a, as a Texas fan. Year two, there were still, you know, some struggles, but a lot of it I think was just because of the talent and the lack of depth on the team. Not because of coaching mistakes, not because of uh, errors on the on the defensive side of the ball and, and from coaching. I feel like coaching got better. In year two, it felt like those those growing pains kind of went away, and I feel like this year is where Stark really needs to take that step up. There's a lot. Of, there's a big crowd about, hey, take away the play calling from Stark. The coach shouldn't make the play calls. Think about the 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 three out of the, out of the top five best coaches in the NFL, right? The the five best. If you, three of those, Kyle Shanahan, he calls the plays, right? Mm-hmm. Mike McDaniel's, he calls the plays, right? Sean McVay. He calls the plays and won the Super Bowl. So it's very doable. And if you notice, who does Sark talk to a lot during the offseason and who is he close with? Sean McVay he, he loves and the Kyle guys Shanahan. From that tree, the, the, the Shanahan tree, Kyle Shanahan, uh, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur. Uh, and if you've heard Rod talk about it, yeah, Rod, Rod's talked about it on Ball Don't Line. I know he's talked about it on the Blitz. If you want to study Sark's offense and what it would look like at the pro level, because uh, Rod, Rod studies the NFL a lot more than I do. Go watch Matt LaFleur's offense in Green Bay based on personnel groupings, based on formations, based on style of play. A lot of what Matt LaFleur does, you see a lot of that with mm-hmm. what Sark does. There's a lot of stuff that jives with them. I do want to save uh, cut three, Cam. I want to save that for the next hour because I want to devote more time to it. But on that, on that, that topic of things getting better, by the end of the year, now look, I know there was a big second-half lead lost against Texas Tech. There was a big second-half lead lost against Oklahoma State. But may, I think if you're looking for, and I don't, I don't want to say silver lining because that's not it, but if you're looking for maybe the point where this program started to maybe take that turn was the Baylor game. And as Sark talks about in this cut, just finding a way to win. But one of those games where it's, it's we talked about the thing that needs to turn around, and I, I think this is the big thing for me the over, overarching theme for me in 2023, and there's a lot of tentacles that reach out from it, but in those tight games, those one-possession games in the second half, is this staff capable of giving you the kind of schematic advantage you need to be able to get over the top in some of those games? And I asked Sark specifically about the Baylor game because that wasn't necessarily schematic advantage as much as it was 
a coach looking at a situation and say, look, if we're going to win this game, this is how we're going to have to do it and start getting better as the game goes on at identifying trends, identifying patterns, adjusting things accordingly, and making the right decisions from there. So I asked him about the Baylor game, but he mentioned another game that I didn't necessarily wasn't top of mind for me in the moment, but it makes sense. And this is Sark on how much confidence, how, how much this program needed the confidence from winning a game like they won beating Baylor in the, at the end of the regular season. Well, I thought it was it was a good win because we found a way to win. And I think a lot of times when you're playing good good people and good teams, you have to find a way to win the game. And you, you got to make those necessary adjustments in game to make that happen. And we weren't throwing the ball great that night. And we ended up, I think, running it 22 straight times. And we found a way to win. And that's not how every game's going to go. Um, but I thought that was the most important message to our guys is, one, instilling the belief that they can, um, but two, finding a way to win and um, that's ultimately what it's about I, I go to the Kansas State game as well you know that was a hard-fought game we found a way to win the game we found a way to get a turnover at a critical moment like that's what really good teams do and that's why I say I felt like we made a lot of progress and that we didn't find a way to do that in year one and we found a way to do it in a couple games in year two hopefully that starts to become more of the norm that's that's what the hope should be, and I think Cam, you, and anybody listening to this who's a Texas fan, I think that's what you hope happens going forward, is that that's the start of this program, understanding what it takes. Just find a way. There are no style points at this point. Just find a way to get the win. At the end of the day, it either counts in one column or the other. It doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters that you do get there and that you put it put the tally in the correct column at the end of the day. Texas was 3-4 and four in one-score games last year, and eventually that'll flip. Remember Tom Herman's first yeah, year? Sark's first year, where were they 1-5 yeah. or yeah, something like that? Just just getting better. It's getting a little bit better, and usually one year of a team has a lot of one-score losses, and next year it'll flip. Now you could argue the last two years is just kind of getting Sark getting his feet underneath them and kind of rebuilding the roster. I mean, same thing with Tom Herman's first year. How many games were three-point losses, five-point losses, six-point losses. And what happened in the next couple of years, they they became a, a nine-win team, right? I think for Sark, there's going to be a big jump. There should be a big jump from year two to year three, Jeff. T- typically, from one year to the next, the trend, how, your trend in one-score games typically goes the other yes. way. That was the problem with the Tom Herman era is you just live there too often. Yeah, You lived in, in one-score territory too often. The hope is – that with your talent and schematic advantages, advantages in both those areas, that you cannot play in as many one-score games. I got a feeling that's going to change when you go into the SEC because every week is going to be a dogfight. Yeah. But if you can just play fewer of those, they're basically coin flip games. So if you, basically if you can go from playing six to eight of those to maybe three or four, and you split those, now you're looking at nine, ten win seasons. And with an expanded college football playoff, especially the league you're going into, now you're talking about competing for conference championships. And, dude, if you're competing for a championship in that conference, you're you're competing for the whole deal. I'm going to bring in the NBA real quick in this, Jeff. The Miami Heat playing the conference finals. This season, in, in crunch time games, they had the best record. And they played the most games, but they had the best record. And that's how they got to the Eastern Conference Finals as a team that barely even made the playoffs. And for Texas, I think finding ways to win, right, in those tough situations makes the team better. It was a pretty young team last year, right? You had a freshman quarterback. You're, you're, besides B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson and Jay Witt, your offensive line and most of your wideouts were, 
were pretty young guys, right? Your, your defense, sure, you had a couple key guys, but you, you relied on a lot of young guys in the secondary at times. Going into this season, it's probably the most experienced team Sark has had. It's without a doubt the most experienced team in his philosophy and his system that he's ever had. Yeah. So usually, usually that will yield better results, Jeff, but maybe I'm just drinking too much Kool-Aid. No, but I do think the other thing that helps Sark, too, that Charlie Strong and, and even Tom Herman didn't have this kind of advantage. It wasn't as prolific as it is now with the one-time transfer exception. The ability Sark has had to get into the portal and, and whatever gaps you have in the talent pipeline through attrition to be able to fill those through the portal. Uh, this roster is in a, I feel like it's on much more solid ground than either of the two previous head coaches going into year three. Or even if you look at Mac, uh, kind of that post 2010 season, if you look at 2011 being the first year of that rebuild going into 2013, if you take Mac's team in 2013, Charlie's team in 16, Tom Herman's team in 19, I think Sark's roster in 23. By the way, that was 10 years ago that we're talking about that Mac Brown season. That just shows you this perpetual cycle this program has been in. But I digress. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough time left in the broadcast year to get through all that. But if you look at all those rosters, the four rosters, there's a 